action. Welcome to Torn Stumps, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. And this time with a guest, please welcome Dave from the Cinemile. Dave, hello. Hey lads, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. That's all right. Thank you for coming on. So we saw the first five Mission Impossible movies ahead of the release of the new installment, Fallout. What I love about the first Mission Impossible movie, which came out in 1996, is that it is a pure, paranoid, 1960s-style spy movie. Yeah, it's funny. It doesn't feel like a 90s movie at all, does it? And maybe that's because Brian De Palma directed it, and uh, what's his name, whose name escapes me, who wrote Chinatown, wrote it. Oh, Robert uh, Town. Yes, thank you. Um, so it's, I mean, these are, so they're old school uh, Hollywood sort of uh, 70s film noir legend guys, aren't they? Like, so yeah. So that definitely pulls it out of the, uh, uh, you know, what the rest of the 90s was doing, um, cool uh, Quentin Tarantino, edgy indie stuff. This felt like <laughs> uh, sort of a nice callback, but in a nice mainstream package with one of the biggest movie stars of the day. Yeah, it's, it didn't feel like like they were kind of theming it in a way, you know, like how uh, Quentin Tarantino would do like a decade later with uh, Death Proof. It wasn't like we are making a film as if it is in the 60s. It was just very 60s inspired. Do you agree, Josh? Yeah, it's like it's the classiest film thriller, I think, from the 90s. It's like the 90s, early 90s were all about like sexy thrillers like basic instincts and <laughs> sliver and like sleeping with the enemy and stuff yeah and then suddenly this came along and it it kind of it was just after goldeneye and i think it really grabbed that kind of like slick thriller like this is what we can do with a thriller now um, as a kid i watched it as a kid when it first came out and i was just like huh because it's like the most complicated um kind of I mean, structurally, it's the most simple of the films. Yeah. Like, it's basically three set pieces linked together with kind of, like, paranoia and um, espionage, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just, like, I didn't understand any of this as a kid. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure I see any of it this no, time me neither. <laughs> and even now, I mean, it's, very, it's a very intelligent movie, and it treats yeah. its audience as if they have intelligence. You really have to piece bits together, right? Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's moments here where, uh, for instance, uh, towards the end, uh, when we re- uh, we're, we're obviously full spoilers here. It's f- spoilers for 1996, everyone, if you haven't. <laughs> if they haven't watched it now, if fuck them. around, yeah. Um, Brutal. There's that moment, there's that moment where um, Jim, is revealed that Jim Phelps isn't isn't dead and uh, yeah. Tom Cruise John is having that, that chat with him and he's kind of, go- and Jim is giving his explanation of why he isn't dead, but... We're hearing that, but we're seeing uh, what Tom Cruise is thinking, which is what actually happened, which is him murdering everyone. And so that level of sort of complexity is a... Well, first, firstly, that's a brilliant concept, very well done. Um, but that's the kind of level you're dealing with. It's not, this isn't just straightforward, like, uh, here's, a, here's a stupid plot and here's a lot of action scenes, which, you mm. know, we're going to get to uh, very shortly. 
Yeah, and that is the level of filmmaking that you would expect from someone like Brian De Palma, yeah. who's, who at that time had been making films for 25, 30 years. And this, and this is arguably like his last great film, isn't it? Because what has he really done since this? What has he done? He's done like, Black oh. Dahlia? Black Dahlia. Like he's done... Um, what does he do? Just like nothing particularly good. Whereas yeah. this, he was coming off like Untouchables and um, of course he did like the untouchable face 10 years before that yeah and, um, i'm frantically IMDb like, being right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> imdb to you go go uh yeah uh, nothing let's just say nothing yeah nothing nothing he's done good. nothing but i do feel that scene that scene is the, is the the scene that treats the audience with the most amount of respect and intelligence throughout the entire film a, I think if he had made that scene in the 70s, that's when he would have fallen back on using some split screen like mm. he used in Carrie. Yeah, he loves the a bit of split screen. That, well, he, he does, but that, you know, a inexperienced filmmaker might have fallen back on using that in order to portray two opposing uh, uh, views on the screen at the same time. But instead, we're just seeing two... We're, we're seeing one opposing view, but hearing another. And it becomes this complete marriage of the two things that make up film, which is audio and visual. Mm. And it's, it's gorgeous. And I don't think we ever see anything as clever as that nowadays. It kind of trusts the audience to kind of figure out that what you're being shown isn't actually the truth. Yeah. It's very clever. Yeah, and I, I would say arguably you don't see uh, anything with that kind of like narrative uh, visual flair anywhere else in the series I think what you do get as the series progresses which we'll get to is uh, increasingly more complex and uh, really well choreographed action scenes because that's the thing this movie the first one's not an action movie really no it's it? not no and you said the word before Joshua it's an espionage yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even say spy because spy could be anything from James Bond through to that Melissa McCarthy movie <laughs> and everything yeah. in between. This is, this is pure, this is like North by Northwest. Yeah, it's very, very Hitchcockian. And they kind of, Hitchcock definitely kind of is, he exists within certain kind of corners of each film, I think, but none more than this first film. That's because Brian De Palma's got a <clears throat> massive hard on for him. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> Quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself, Joshua. <laughs> we are doing this over Skype, so I can't actually see below the waist. So <laughs> I, 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 I'll take your word for it. What the one thing that I, I, the one film that's come out recently that I think has treated the audience with absolute respect and, and intelligence is the first Sicario movie. Yeah, yeah, good show. Where and we we spoke about this on on our episode. The first three quarters of that movie. You think you're watching a film about Emily Blunt, but it actually turns out to be all about Benicio del Toro. Mm. And if the if the filmmakers had concentrated on just telling Benicio del Toro's story, then Emily Blunt wouldn't have come in until the the third act. Yeah. But the fact that they said it a bit before and then brought in Benicio del Toro and very slowly moved towards him, that's mm. really intelligent. And I love I love it when filmmakers and storytellers flip things like that yeah i think this film the first mission impossible though it's it's so all through um tom cruise's like ethan hunt's eyes yeah the entire film is just his perspective it's like it's in books when you get narrative um 
point of view jumps and flips and stuff you get that quite a lot but in film and in films you get that quite a lot as well but this is just kind of purely him and yeah. it really cranks up that paranoia and you don't really know what the hell is going on and you're kind of on this ride with this guy um who's just like this young young spy and just, you know that's one thing I, I really um like about this movie compared to the others is that uh, like you said josh we 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 meet ethan hunt when he's this sort of uh you know second in command he's snapping at the heels of jim phelps he's uh mm-hmm. you know he's capable but he's nowhere near this this sort of mythological kind of superhero that he that he <laughs> becomes certainly in the second one and then even as they progress he becomes more human and fallible but you know by the by by rogue nation we've got alec baldwin telling the prime minister of britain that this man is a this man is a, a ghost he could be anyone anywhere he could you know this that amazing monologue he gives so i i like that we've he's the embodiment of destiny that's it oh my god please, when we get to rogue nation please drop that clip in there because that's just insane <laughs> but i i really like I really like Tom Cruise as a star. And we, I've spoken about it on this podcast. I like it when he plays characters and he steps away from being Tom Cruise. So I really like Eyes Wide Shut. And I really like his performance in Magnolia. I think there's just enough choices being made in this film that it is elevating him away from being TC. He is Ethan Hunt. And what I like about this version of Ethan Hunt is that he's really boyish and he's really like joyful and a bit a bit reckless mm. he doesn't seem to be taking it you know the mission that seriously before yeah. the prague fuck up he just blows up that fish tank and just like yeah. destroys that restaurant it's like red light then... green light <laughs> love that it's great that was it's funny to think that that was like one of the big action moments of this of this movie um which is like now when you compare it to where we, where we got to like him hanging yeah. off the side of the Burj Khalifa and all this kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. it's like wow Tom Cruise does his own stunts he jumped through a, a pane of glass <laughs> there was some, some sugar water. paper <laughs> but this but he wasn't Tom Cruise action hero when he made the first Mission Impossible he was like the no good, he wasn't the solid like courtroom drama thriller he was an actor you know, he was a, he was a <laughs> was it a young actor he was he was an actor yeah. look what he did you know in the, the 10 years prior to this he was in that, that Francis Ford Coppola movie. Mm. He was in Far and Away, yeah. which Legend. obviously has the greatest Irish accent ever oh, well. put oh, on screen. Right. Sorry, guys, I can't, I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's uh, wrong with it? Move on. He did, <laughs> <laughs> he did um, obviously, oh, like Top the Gun. Firm and, oh, right, Top the Gun, Firm, yeah. Born on the Fourth of July. But these are like big, meaty roles, and mm. he was, you know, edging towards Oscar nominations, and then he would have edge towards probably winning an oscar had he not just reverted to being tom cruise and everything he was he's basically like a really really good stuntman isn't he by, by the time we get to rogue nation he's doing yeah. it all he's probably doing and, more you know vic armstrong ever but he's not a bad actor like when we get to rogue nation he is so fucking deft like he he can do really with a look like there's, there's a great bit when mm. benji is kind of like basically just assuming that Tom Cruise can do anything. It's like, that's easy. Come on, you can do it. Yeah. And Tom Cruise's <laughs> face is like, uh, okay, um, without saying anything. So he kind of has that perfect marriage of brilliant physicality, but also a really funny, great actor. There are flashes of, of Tom Cruise, the actor, throughout this series, mm. no more so than part three, which we'll obviously, oh, yeah. we'll obviously come on to. What I also love about this first one is... 
that it seems to have set a a trend in motion unintentionally of taking characters and showing us how they became the character. It's an origin story without them saying, this is the origin story of Ethan Hunt. Because mm. who the fuck knows who Ethan Hunt was at the time? The, the TV show hadn't been on there for well, Ethan 30 Hunt years. Well, Ethan Hunt is a creation. The only, the only character from the TV show was um, John Boyd. Jim. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, and they blew him up and killed him. Oh. Literally blew him up, but they completely destroyed that character. And, and it, was a, it was a real like, statement what? of intent as well, wasn't it? Because yeah, they, absolutely. Jim, I mean, Jim Phelps was the hero of the, uh, you know, it was Peter Graves played him in the TV show and he was the, you know, the hero week in, week out. And for, so I think it was probably quite an unexpected twist for audiences who were fans of the TV show in 1996 uh, that, he, that he was the villain. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea. And they, their original plan was to actually bring back all of the, the group from the original series and kill them off the way they did at the start of the film. So oh, great. And just kill them and go, ah, that's the old, here's the new. And so like, what, so they would have had a bunch of like Martin Cuckers, the, and What, the original actors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, Leonard Nimoy and everyone. Um, yeah, yeah. But they were so old. Of course they were dying on I mission. Know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like space cowboys or something. <laughs> but like that, that scene in Generations where they blow Jim Kirk out the side of oh, the, the Enterprise. Oh, man. I still, I'm still not over that. <laughs> Wait, I really want to watch this movie. I guess they're all dead now, I guess. So it's never going to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wish that was like a spin-off movie. Like they kept Last trying to get... Vegas kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. They kept trying to get Martin Landau to come back. Even though when the first film came out, he was like, basically, it's a piece of shit. Oh, and wow. He kind of said... Um, He's wrong. He, yeah, well, yeah. He said that it was basically an action-adventure movie and not Mission. Mission was a mind game, um, which actually I think is not fair because no, this first film is absolutely a mind game. Yeah. Is, that, is, is that a similar thing to... Um, you know, with like, who's the guy that played Sulu? You know, the guy's like, hello. George Takai. George Takai. When he got really pissed off that uh, JJ had made his character, his, his, you know, the new iteration of his character, yeah. like officially gay in the third new Star Trek movie. Is it a case of the old cast just getting a bit pissed off that shit has to go on, shit has to develop? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, it, 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 for somebody who's been, you know, working on it, I think Mission Impossible had five or six seasons. I, I, I don't quite know. But who's been working on a job for that long that becomes pretty much synonymous with their career, yeah. except maybe Leonard Nimoy slash Star Trek and Peter Graves slash Airplane. Um, that, that's a hard thing to, to kind of let go of if you've got a picture of a thing in your head. But I would say that Mission Impossible is, the first one is, probably the best example of how to translate and adapt a tv show for for the cinema yeah because no one yeah i can't think of anything else that's had that that longevity we're 22 years into this series now yeah exactly this is it's become more synonymous with the movie series than that it's superseded it oh uh, absolutely i I don't think i've ever watched an episode of the the original mission impossible Mm -hmm. series ever have you dave yeah, I well, I grew I grew up on it watching the reruns with my dad because he he was a big fan, uh, mm. and uh, it. I mean, I haven't really watched it recently, besides some clips, just doing some research for this. But it uh, it was a lot of fun, but it's not, you know, it never stood out to me the same way like the A Team or something. There was something, um, that was more of a sort of fun for kids. Maybe maybe it was just a bit more of an adult show for me. It didn't really land for me as a kid. Did it? Would it? Did the clips that you watched this week? Did they? Did that land for you? Could you go back and watch? I mean, 
the effects are pretty roping. The mask <laughs> stuff is pretty good. I mean, well, they didn't have the technology, obviously. So a lot of what you yeah. got was um, you, you'd, you'd, you'd have... I don't know why I'm using my hands and face here. We're on a podcast, but you, you'd, <laughs> yeah, you'd have a full-on shot of somebody, and they, they, you know, put their hands to the bottom of their neck and start like p- pulling up something, and the camera would swiftly pan away <laughs> and then pan back, and be like, "Oh my god, it's a different person." <laughs> Strangely, there was a, a moment not too dissimilar to that in the third Mission Impossible movie, but. JJ kind of flipped it because with Philip Seymour Hoffman. With Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. so Tom Cruise is having the mask applied to him, and Luther is sort of helping him. And the camera's sort of panning to the left, so it goes behind Luther, blocking our view of Tom Cruise. And as it comes out back on the on the left hand side of Luther, you think it's going to be full on. I'm yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, now, yeah. but it's not because you can still see it looks a bit ropey. And yeah. then only when Luther starts patting the eyes down does the CGI completely what is it merge and it's philip seymour hoffman so clever very good bit but, yeah. but also like did did you guys obsess about the actual technology of this like how like how does that stick to your skin how does your skin break like well they showed us how it works yeah, but why do they why <laughs> yeah. does that why do their body shapes and sizes change? yeah their hands exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well the, what, what we didn't see was the 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 fat suit machine just off <laughs> whole new what I did like, though, in in the the second one, they have that thing that they stick on the Adam's oh, apple, yeah. but they, they never explain how it works. But then they just use that again in, in the third one without explaining. I think the third one was where it, it, it finally, like, by taking a step back and showing us the behind the scenes of how the masks work and this machine yeah. and the phrase that you have to read uh, to, mm. to match someone's voice. I thought there was a stroke of genius by... A, it was so clever. Very, very good. Yeah. But like, they, but the second film kind of almost um, short-circuited the masks, didn't it? Because it, it kind of went, hey, masks are so cool. And it just did them constantly. So <laughs> that meant the rest of the films couldn't really do them that much. The second one I have major problems with. <laughs> I think everyone does. Just major, major problems. But just on, on the first one, I think... I mean... D- how do you guys feel about whether it, it is dated or not? I know it's got a 60s twinge to it and it's definitely a film of the 90s. That, is there anything in there that is dating that first film? For me, besides the technology, which is clearly dated in a, in a very enjoyable way, um, I don't think the movie's dated at all. I think it really, really holds up. I think it's very, mm. very good. As Yeah, as a movie, it works fantastically well and it still does. I just... This is the thing that runs throughout the whole franchise. I just love, it's so sweet how they really think that London payphones are actually still working. I know. <laughs> like, I've not seen a single and then one you that can, works. Like, you can't stand in those payphones yeah, any no. longer than 30 <laughs> seconds because you would just be inhaling someone's dry piss. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I do yeah. like, though, you know the, the phone box area that he uses in um, the Five. fifth one? Yeah. That's opposite Picturehouse Central where I saw the film. Oh. Yeah. Nice. This is by the... By book. McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they've got six of them rowed. They have, row. but they me and my boyfriend were like looking at it going, hang on, no, 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 wait. We need to we need to look and see what lens are they using? How far is it away from there? We just worked out that they brought in some prop ones. Oh yeah. Because you can't have is. Tom Cruise standing in we. It's Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> He's hardcore though. Surely he'd be like, Yeah, man, oh, yeah come that's on. a good point actually. Yeah. yeah he'd it. probably be like, Bring like, it on. Rubbing it all over himself. And there'd be like, like an extra on the uh, the DVD about <laughs> Tom Cruise in piss. <laughs> and he probably He's did hardcore. his own pee as well. He'd be like, yeah. oh, let's step back, I'll do it. I'll piss all over this thing. <laughs> um I do feel 
the A, I wanted more from um, Emilio Estevez because I love him. I think he's great. But his death was very specific. He oh, had to be man. sat in just the right space and his head had to be angled up at just the right angle for him to be stabbed through the eyes. But I mean, either way, that's not going to yeah. be good. No, he didn't. That was just bad luck that he happened to be looking up. Although we could, they could realistically bring him back. We don't know if he died because of the masks. No, no, it's just he only got stabbed in in the face. I thought that was an enormous, like saber-sized thing up there. What even was it? Just a weapon they'd installed. I think that's in every lift. There's, there's all these. <laughs> if, you, if you ever open the top of a lift, it's just dangerous uh, swords uh. and uh, chainsaws, and it's, it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> the the Langley scene, the CIA like uh, rope drop scene, that is exquisite. That's extraordinary. That scene, I actually wrote down that it made me think of Pixar because it had that really kind of perfectly constructed, you know, it, you know, the humor in it and the, kind of the office, the office guy who's just kind of completely oblivious to this fantastic stuff that's going on it's pure pixar i wouldn't be surprised if they drew from this film when they were doing their own kind that's of incredible interesting stuff. point particularly considering brad bird comes in yeah later. exactly yeah definitely yeah. some some uh, parallels there yeah yeah that's a great scene it's wonderful so although with all their technology why did they need a human man to hold on to that bit of rope <laughs> yeah That's winches winches exist <laughs> like in 1996 they were a thing yeah the bit where the the knife drops oh it's great oh tense but did it look good for 1996 it did i thought the cgi yeah. what do you think of the cgi dave in this film i uh, yeah it didn't it didn't take me out of it i was fine with it hmm. i think it was seamless you know when the, the camera's Going along the countryside, it goes towards the Eurostar, and then it it lands by the window. It's obviously yeah. a you know a CGI shot into a, a studio composite. That was seamless. You know, you get some films now, you know some some Marvel yeah. films. You know, like some of the the stuff in in um, Infinity War was was fucking terrible. Well, f- films probably nowadays are just biting off more than they can chew, possibly, or or the amount of effects shots are have multiplied so many. I mean, you're going to have hundreds and hundreds per frame potentially yeah. here nowadays, whereas then maybe they had four. You know, it was like a whole team at ILM. You're on the knife. You guys are doing the <laughs> knife. You've got you've got eight months. <laughs> but I'm doing the rat. <laughs> the rat. Yeah. You know that train sequence where they're inside the tunnel. That. Yeah. The entire thing that took six weeks to film. Oh, my God, it doesn't I mean, usually take that long to get to Paris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was one bit though, just before the um, just before the train goes into the tunnel, when they cut to like a, a a wide shot up in the air, and it's just a model helicopter being dragged by a train. Oh, <laughs> God bless him. It's quite cute, and and weirdly, in a nostalgic way, you just buy into it. Yeah, because you believe you believe weirdly models even if they look a bit shit you always believe them more than cgi yeah because you're like well i could still be being tricked it could be real it's like moon did you watch moon oh yeah great have you movie. seen moon dave yeah great movie yeah. Yeah, yeah but that's all that's all like red dwarf style models <laughs> it's i think with sci-fi in particular models just work a, a lot better because well yeah you tend to be surrounded in blackness as well which helps yeah exactly. yeah that definitely yeah. helps i really love that even in this first Mission Impossible movie, we're getting scenes set in the real places that it's uh, filmed in. So Liverpool Street Station. 
oh, for yeah. example. Mm. With more payphones. It was so weird to see I it. I know, it's really weird to see payphones. It's so dated. Yeah. But that's all banked And for now. years, when we first when we first introduced in that scene to the fact it's Liverpool Street Station and he's a, he's in the flat above the actual entrance to the station. It's on mm. the corner with the you know the blue uh, signage. For years, I just assumed, oh, that's a back lot in America somewhere. Because yeah. I'd never seen that side of Liverpool Street. Yeah. And then I was cycling and I passed it. And I was like, fucking hell. Tom Cruise was there. Tom it's Cruise real. speaks it's the truth. Real. There's something in that Scientology. He's speaking the truth. <laughs> God. Someone had to say that word, didn't they? <laughs> but, but that's the thing. You can't mention Tom Cruise without. He's know, so synonymous, isn't he? He's like synonymous with this and he's synonymous with Scientology. But I love the fact that he's, he's filming in, in all these real locations. And it's something that he's, he's clearly very passionate about it. Because in the third one, we go to Shanghai. In the fourth one, we're in Dubai. And there's other films in... Well, he was um, passionate about Prague. He was like, we have to go to Prague for the first film. Oh, really? Yeah, it was his idea. Oh, he told... well, he, this was the first film he produced with Thingy mm. Wagner, right? Yeah. But he, he... We went to Trafalgar Square in the Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, do you remember that? The, the helicopter landing at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Vaguely. Um, and then the, the Reich Air Ministry building in Berlin for Valkyrie. So he's really shit hot on filming in, in mm. real locations. Well, which, if you can afford it, then you do, well, don't you? He's but... Tom Cruise. He's yeah. king of the world. But it just adds a, another level of realism to a story and it just makes it that little bit more believable. Mm. I think it's a good point and I think it, um, it shows uh, Tom Cruise's creds as a producer as well because, yeah. as you said, you know, his, his, he pretty much, his fingerprints is all over this franchise he kind of has owned it and steered it but like he's clever in that his he influences it um accordingly but he also he brings in people to you know great directors each time to run the thing and put their own stamp on it and i think yeah. that's what's good about tom cruise he knows when to step back and he's a collaborator which is also 100 percent what the mission impossible movies are all about yeah. oh i see yeah. what you did there hey. <laughs> Just came to me. but in terms of collaborations, I think Mission Impossible 2 can only be considered a failure. Were either of you a fan of John Woo movies? Um, I was, I've always been a fan of them uh, on some sort of ridiculous level in that, I, you know, I think it, you, nobody can really look at most John Woo movies and say th these are brilliant pieces of cinema but there's something really charming and absurd about them and I mean I've watched Face Off so many times and I'll always go back to Face Off it's just so brilliantly stupid and <laughs> and I think this this movie brilliantly stupid five it, stars it, it, it is though I'd like, it is, it's a five star movie while also being a terrible one star movie and I think Mission Impossible 2 has got quite a lot of that in that it's it's very, it's the, by far the stupidest of all the movies, and I and I think you you said it there, Robert. It's um, it's very much an Ethan Hunt movie. It's a Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt action star. I'm the hero. I am. Yeah. I'm infallible. I'm invincible. Like it doesn't at all feel like the character we had in in the first movie or any. No, later it's, it's just like the the gender politics is the thing that I have the most issue with, and the portrayal of what. Ethan Hunt had become. He'd become this pervy, leery pervert. It basically, it was this, fucking this, weird. This is like the the 
kind of bond the bondiest isn't it of yes. all of them i think but i don't even think james bond is that Wait, leery and and pretty filthy isn't he well it depends which i guess it depends which, which bond you're going for but there was just something really sin i think maybe it's sinister just something really sinister and the way that he he moved he, he moved like a terminator like he was conserving battery because it was in slow-mo as well it just kind of gave yeah. it even oh, more this, I mean I, I saw this this is the first one I saw in the cinema and I just remember being so disappointed with it so disappointed at the time I didn't realise but when I was watching it this time I just felt like they didn't want to do the 60s espionage thing anymore they wanted no. to rebrand it as a action film but by jettisoning the old style i don't think they found a comfortable new style so it it feels really bland and even at the mm. time all that slow-mo and ramping felt really old yeah i saw this when it came out so i would have been god like 16 17 i remember thinking it was like real, like a really sexy kind of like weirdly sexy and i thought tandy newton was like the most beautiful woman i'd ever seen but i think maybe it's because it was in slow-mo so i was just like tandy you're just like you're just like so like you're like ethereal but she's like a shampoo advert. Ser- yeah she's not served by this really is she no i can't no, she's not i'm not surprised she said no i'm not coming back for number three did you um did you see it in the cinema dave I did, and I I was also 16, and I loved this movie so much. (laughs) (laughs) And this time around? (laughs) Oh, it's it's a terrible piece of garbage. There's there's no way, no way around it. This is this is a bad, bad movie. But it's it's, really and it's uh, really self indulgent, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean you said it. The 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 slow mo. This like if this movie was played at normal speed. Oh be twenty minutes. It'd be a short film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> that my, whole... fa- my favorite <laughs> slow mo scene in all of it, though, is uh, when uh, Tandy Newton first meets Dougray Scott on the pier. Yeah. And yeah. The, oh. the scarf, right? <laughs> oh my god! It's like, the, it's like that scarf slow... scene with, in the bodyguard. I, it is like that. that. Yeah. Yes. So at one point, um, uh, what's her name? Whitney Houston's got like a scarf on. And she's got this fucking samurai sword, and I don't know where she's got it from. But she's whipping it around, and she places it near Kevin Cosner's stomach. And instead of him saying, oh, love, that's a bit sharp, be careful, he takes this silk scarf off her neck, throws it in the air, lets it flutter down, and it just, like, gently splits in two, and she gets it. Oh, the knife is sharp. Oh, my God. Just that kind of self-indulgent shit you just think that takes me out of the movie you yeah. just think this is just the filmmakers playing around with the new technology mm. to, be, to be fair though I mean we're, we're our son is uh, 10 months old at the moment so he's crawling so we're, we have to baby proof the house and that's how I've taught him uh, things are dangerous <laughs> as well <laughs> with scarves by, by pushing them into the plugs yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is though that this franchise I don't think would really exist without Mission Impossible 2 because if they had so Oliver Stone was kind of one of the first choices to direct this and he said no in the end the the second one the second one yeah yeah. and Brian De Palma was offered the second one he said no as well Um, and I think that if they had tried to continue going down the first film's kind of very specific paranoid kind of intricate kind of thriller I don't think it would have had the mass appeal of something like this that is just kind of is you look at a car and it blows up you know it's just that ridiculous <laughs> that's so a great I think point this film is like a, a transitionary yeah. film for the franchise. that's a really yeah. that's a really great point because this movie we can't forget was the biggest worldwide uh, movie of 2000 like it was Jeez. phenomenally successful it made buckets of money so you're, you're 
No, you're right, Josh, because that um, and that paved the way for what the series became when it kind of found its feet in three, which is kind of a mix of the, the two things, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And, and now yeah. it feels like the last three movies felt like they found their voice, didn't they? Like they're quite, they're relatively consistent while having sort of individual styles. I think, yeah, I think definitely the the lo- the most lasting tone has been from uh, Ghost Protocol and on. Yeah, that's really been yes, true. That's really been the we've locked it down now. It's taken us four movies, but we've locked it down. Yeah. This is going to be our tone. Well, that's that's a problem I always had with the franchise is that it felt so choppy and kind of inconsistent. So you've got Tom Cruise and you've got Ving Rhames and then later on you've got Simon Pegg as a kind of the through line characters. But between one, two and three, it's just so inconsistent. And, you, and even though I guess agents do get killed in the field quite a lot. Yeah. You don't expect them to have quite that big of a turnover. True. Whereas kind of every every two months you've got a new squad. It doesn't well, make any sense. They either get killed or or betray everyone. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. like why do they keep why do they not have tighter security protocols? Everyone they're the most disloyal organization. Like out of out of the five movies, three of the movies have um villains who are from the IMF. Um so you've That's got the first, the second the first second and, and then Billy Crudup in the third. Oh um, yes, I always forget about mm. Billy Crudup. And then the fourth one he doesn't, but then the fifth one he's an ex MIA uh, MI6 um agent. So yeah. four out of five of the villains are are, oh, yeah. are spies. It's the whisper. And the second film is the only one where he's actually working on a case for the IMF. The other ones he's on the run. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't actually work for the IMF. They hate him. <laughs> they want to kill him so badly. He just loves the freestyle life, the, the freelance <laughs> lifestyle, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> if somebody had, like, if your employer had, um, like, turned on you that much, like four, <laughs> like four specific times where you were on the run for your life and they didn't believe you, why would you keep going back to them? Why has the pension he scheme's freelance? really good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, the holidays are great. You get to go uh, go to a canyon and uh... <laughs> and do rock climbing. <laughs> exactly. Why yeah. was that in this movie? That scene made me think of um, bizarre. Well, not really bizarre, but the first um, Lara Croft film, where when they were trying to figure out what Lara Croft did in her downtime, Simon West, the director, I think, was kind of like, "Oh my God, she would totally do bungee ballet." And so that's that's why that film has that bizarre <laughs> scene where she's in the manor hall and she's bungeeing around on a on a bungee. Oh road. yeah, who, who does that in that. their spare time? I know. And so Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt's downtime is I'm going to try and kill myself by hanging off a rock in Utah. But there's no reason for it to be in the film. He's on vacation. How, if you take it out, both of you yeah. answer this. If you take it out, does it affect the plot? There's a plot. No. <laughs> <laughs> His answer was better. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel, what was the, the motivation of the bad guy, Am- Ambrose? I never understand. Is that his name, Ambrose? Guys. Like custard? He, yeah. Hang on. I think he... Okay, so what is, there's, a, there's a bio weapon because... well, There always is. Why not? Um, <laughs> and he wants to buy... He wants to steal it so he can sell it back to Brendan Gleeson. And own 51% of his company. Oh, no. He's sorry. He's got the antidote and the virus. That's it. He's going to release the virus and then take 51% of the company who owns the antidote and then make billions. I think that's the plot. Okay. But so this Simple. is the thing about the bad guys. Simple, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the bad guys in Mission Impossible, they're all 
they weirdly all believe that they're agents of change. Like there's no, they're all pretty much exactly the same person. They all just want to, you know, destroy the old way and bring in a new, like they're essentially terrorists, aren't they? They just want to bring in, bring in the a ones new, that have gone rogue. Well, pretty much every single bad guy in the series, right? They just want to change the world. Some, I think I think that's true of everyone except Jim Phelps in the first one, who just seemed like he was tired. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You're also, right. Everyone else was. That's exactly their motivation. Yeah, they're just right. interchangeable, aren't they? Yeah. And also, I found I know we haven't got onto um, the fifth film yet, which I did enjoy, but the fact that Sean Harris is such an awesome actor and he's so terrifying when he does so little. But he doesn't get to do anything in the film. He, he just sends his fucking Swedish mafia after everyone. And then he just kind of rasps down the phone a bit. Is I, he the whispery guy? Yeah, I really wanted him to yeah. actually do something. What a voice. Yeah, it's so terrifying, isn't he? I'm going to get you now. Get <laughs> do they have prosthetics on his face? No, or? that's just his face. Is that how he looks? <laughs> yeah. Okay. He can yeah. only play villains then, can't he? Yeah, he's, the, he's the like, physical manifestation of the, like, the frowny emoji, isn't he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> Not the frowny he emoji. Is. I completely forgot the Hannibal Lecter's in this movie. Yeah, I know. With the best lines. It's not mission difficult, it's mission impossible. Mm, he doesn't quite have the best lines because he does say, um, you know, I want her to go to bed with a man and lie to him. She's a woman. She's got all the training she needs. Oh, yeah. That's a bit... Oh, dear. That's a bit cringeworthy. Poor old Tandy. Even oh, then, that wasn't okay. Yeah. That was a bit leery. It was like, it didn't actually but, linger all over her though. When she took her dress off, there was no shot of her kind of in silhouette or anything that was kind of travelling up her body. Like they did actually keep her quite under wraps, so that was good. But still. no, but you know, in that that opening scene where they're racing, you know, the car advert scene where they're racing <laughs> cars on the side of the cliff, oh, God. <laughs> and hers kind of flips and spins in slow mo, and then she needs help because she's hanging onto the door. I don't know yeah, how that happened. Doors yeah. don't just open. I can't even open the door most of the time. But he has to save her. And then as they're in that car, they're having a bit of a snuggle and she's like falling in love with him. That's, that's just, no. that's, that's why I say I have a problem with the, the sexual politics in, in the film. Yeah, because but Robert, have you, have you ever been in a, in a slow-mo car dance with somebody? <laughs> Not on, I mean, it was a slow-mo tube dance, yes. Or like dodgems or something. But it hasn't, they didn't have my consent. <laughs> <laughs> it's very busy but Tom Cruise we're actually, all young I think that in the second film he looks like he doesn't look like Tom Cruise he actually looks like a little bit eastern like he's really tanned and he's got like kind of long floppy hair yeah I, I hate Tom Cruise with long hair like that because that's where he so he the, the best films are the ones where he's got short hair I think yeah <laughs> I, I would what, say yeah the through. shorter the hair the better the film yeah exactly I had, I had the exact same thought and I actually <laughs> formulated it into uh, a theory alright so I'm, I'm, I'm calling it the Tom Cruise inverse Samson theory oh okay <laughs> yeah and the, the theory is for any given Mission Impossible movie the length of Tom Cruise's hair is inversely proportional to the quality of the movie so the oh. longer his hair the lower the overall quality of the movie. So what, has he ever had a buzz cut? Uh, well, the, his hair is kind of short and choppy in the first one. Yeah. Second one, long, and the movie is terrible. Yeah. Then it's shorter, but not as short as number one <laughs> in the third one. Then yeah. it's, a bit, it's a bit longer. It's a bit Jane Fonda in the fourth one. Isn't it, it is a bit Jane Fonda <laughs> in the fourth one. <laughs> um, but then it's, it's almost like a combination of the third and the fourth one in the fifth one. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a little bit of a fringe. Yeah. Because he's getting to that age where he's probably needing to hide some sort of receding or maybe had some 
Is it implants or when you have yeah. your hair sewn back Why into your forehead? Why are you looking at me when you said that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know who your doctor is. I want to get mine done. <laughs> um, I, there's a moment where, you know when, um, when Thandy steals the, the camera memory card from the guy's pocket? Oh, yeah. And then she loops back to give the, the card to tom cruise and luther's come out the van to give tom cruise a camera before going back to the van so tom cruise can look at the memory card in the camera but then tom cruise starts relaying the information on the card back to the van why didn't luther just take the memory card back to the van because didn't she have to put it back in his pocket and then she puts it in the wrong pocket in his right pocket oh you're right yes but then he doesn't even really notice, does he? No, he, oh, no, does. he, does. he does. Later on, he's like uh, chatting to um, the English guy with the South African accent. Oh, uh, yeah. I love a South African he, accent um, in the movie. He reminded me, another very girly reference, but um, the bad guy in this, Dougray Scott, he reminded me of Justin Theroux in the second Charlie's Angels film, who is like randomly like the Irish mafia or, or something uh, or Scottish Mafia or something equally ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen um, any... Char- That's another one, Charlie's Angels. That was a TV show. Yeah. And it had a l- sort of Moment. revival in the yeah. film. That's how I not to do it, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was that? That was just weird. And Lost That's in mo- Space. There's a, like, this, these are all examples of how to have not to bring back 60s classics. Uh, Hel- Mission Impossible Hilari- is the only real big successful one I can think of. Yeah. Do we like Vin Rames in these movies? Uh, he doesn't really contribute much, does he? So in the first one, I think he is quite in, in, integral, right? Yeah, he's the hacker. You got to have a hacker yeah. in these movies. <laughs> yeah. What's his role in the second one? Not nobody has a role in the second one except Tom Cruise. <laughs> they like they literally like they introduce this Australian guy, Billy Baird, whose yeah. only only job his skill set is that he can fly a helicopter, and that's it. <laughs> And that also, essentially, I became the Benji Sydney. character. Exactly, exactly, the, exactly yeah. the comic. They morphed into the comic relief character, except they gave mm. Benji a skill set. Um, yeah. But I lived in Sydney for five years, and and helicopter is the worst way to get around. Like, there's no two way, two ways around it. Like, you do not need a helicopter pilot for any of these missions. Like, they could have gotten <laughs> there by boat or by land, just or by or bike. climbing. Yeah. But especially, exactly. especially when the helicopters have no doors, so you're th- being thrown out every two seconds. It's very exactly. hot there. You want a through wind. <laughs> but I just felt with Ving Rain, he was just there to audio describe the movie. It was ridiculous. He was saying things like, he's showing him something on the digital camera. He's taking the memory card and putting it into an envelope. He's put it in the inner left jacket of his, in the left pocket of his jacket. I'm not blind. I can see what's going on. I don't need mm. to be audio described the movie. I almost, it, like he, I almost felt like at one point he was going to say, I'm not doing the next one until I read the script in advance. I always thought, is he like quite a big deal? Because I always assumed he was always in them because he was quite a big deal. But I don't see him in anything other no, than this. No, is he in anything else? Dave, have you seen him in anything else? Uh, a Pulp Fiction? Uh, that was even before this. I can't... Uh, oh, was that him? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the uh, guy that gets um, gimp fucked. Is that him? That's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He might, I mean, he must just be friends with Tom Cruise or something. There, I mean, there's a he, by the by the later films, he's essentially just a cameo, really. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, even in even in the fifth one, 
I mean, he's not very good at action. When he's walking across Paddington Station, he gets out of breath and <laughs> he loses whatever the, the woman's name is. I love that. I love so that. He, and like, you know. That moment, and there's suddenly like this huge crowd of people, and he's just like trying to. Oh, oh, I'm being, like, he's being Reigns. He's huge. He could just like plow through those people, surely. I think that the it was good for them to take a six year break before coming back. It's almost like recamping, working out what went wrong. Because when they came back, they actually did something that is 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 amazing. They actually took this idea and gave it so much depth. It starts from the second it starts, you suddenly see something that you haven't seen before since the first one, I guess, which is just like emotion and kind of fear and actual genuine peril. And he's and acting like a, again. It's like a punch in the face. You're like, shit, what's happened to Tom Cruise? Yeah, he's acting again. Yeah. This is his, I think... Uh, it's a good point because this is the best uh, Tom Cruise is in terms of um, acting and emotional stakes in any of these movies. I think that yeah, scene. Yeah, I agree. You can, like, he's genuinely brilliant. Like, it's a masterclass mm. in, in mm. this. Like, um, and normally I don't like when um, movies start at the end. You know, it's become a really annoying trope. Um, and then flat, six weeks earlier or whatever. But not that this movie did that. It really works here. It really, really does. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't tell us yeah. how how long no. before. It's, I mean, it's a couple of days or whatever. Yeah, yeah. At yeah, most, a week. Yeah, I think this is the best one because it takes everything that worked in the first one, the few little scraps that worked in the second one, which is obviously the action and Tom Cruise just kind of throwing himself into it with gay abandon, or not, and uh, <laughs> and it, it just kind of distills. You'll, we'll be hearing from his lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it distills it into this perfect, almost perfect action thriller, I think. I think it's so good. It's so good that it doesn't even need to have a real MacGuffin. You never find out what the thing is. Yeah. You don't even so need it good. because everything else is so good around it. And it's definitely a darker movie than before. And I wonder, is that because it was the first one after 9-11 and all action films seem to take on this weird realism? Because by that time, it was just inappropriate and, and just not wanted for things to have that 1980s, 1990s, you know, diehard Arnold Schwarzenegger cliche tropes Mm. to them. Mm. That's a really good point because this is, yeah, it's very much a movie of its time and kind of a lot of Mm. these are, uh, you know, the first one we said felt a little out of time. The second one is very much a movie of the year 2000. Like it's, it, it is uh, it's got all the hallmarks of, of the early noughties you know it's got a Limp Bizkit soundtrack and sunglasses <laughs> oh, and it's, God it has hasn't it everything's extreme but you, you're right the third one I hadn't really considered that it's very post 9-11 and movies in the noughties kind of did go you know Batman Begins was the year before this wasn't it so yeah. it's like yeah. you do you do get that realism was the thing and it really benefits this movie because um it is the most human, the most grounded and the most dramatic. And there's actual like uh, the relationships are believable and the stakes are, are the highest, I think, in mm. this movie. Yes, I actually believe his motivation to get his wife back in this in yeah. this film. I, you know, there was nothing in, in the second one that made me think he wants to do this. And even when they, at the 80 minute mark, introduced that ticking time bomb, the fact that Fandy's just put the dangerous shit inside of herself mm. by that point i was like i want this movie done i don't give a shit about her <laughs> but in this shit. one the danger shit but in this one it's from the get-go 
you know, you've got Philip Seaman Hoffman there going, I'm, I'm going to count to 10 or whatever. You know, he speaks in such a fucking weird way. It's like, it's like a quiet Mal- uh, John Malkovich. Oh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. He is, he is fucking terrifying. He's the best in this villain. movie. He is the best villain. Because he does he stuff. Is. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a gun to her head. And then after that scene, you, you meet her and you're kind of like, oh my God, she's really nice and she's a nurse. We should keep this person alive. She's great. And, I um, like that you said he does stuff. Like that's all, <laughs> that's, all it, that's all you need to do to be the best villain in this series. <laughs> Is this version of Ethan Hunt a, a better through line from the first to the third than the first to the second? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Definitely, and I'm I'm actually kind of I can see why they why they did it, but I'm kind of sad that the the number four and number five didn't really um, kind of tie into the third one in, in that kind of emotional way. Like you get that really nice little um, kind of epilogue where he sees her and she sees him, and it's actually really quite um, sad and emotional. But for the most part, number four is like this massive romp. Yeah, and actually, I didn't. Having watched number three and then going straight into number four, I actually liked number four less than I did when it came out. And it exists. hundred percent, hundred percent. Number yeah. four used to be my favorite of the Me lot. Me too. Saw it in the yeah. cinema, saw it on the great screen. I saw it on the date, actually. Oh. Yeah. Who, and the guy went off to start a very successful career in uh, pornography. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. Inspired I know. by Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen some of his work. It's, it's very agreeable. That's a success story right there. Yeah. It is a success Heart story. Really. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was hot on number four. And when I watched them all this time, number three is absolutely my favorite. And it's going to be a, a tough, you know, it's going to be a tough thing to have number three knocked off the top spot for me mm. because it has so much depth. I actually welled up. Holy Quite shit. a few times throughout number three because I just, you know, it, it really gets you because fucking hell, that guy's wife's been nicked and there's not yeah. much he can do. You know, he doesn't, every, at every point there's a stumbling block. Yeah. Every point. And, and even at one point he passes by oh. the guy who, you know, the, the, oh, um, yeah. the guy the who looks like David, yeah, he looks like David Warner from The Omen. That is like a <laughs> yeah. wonderfully mean moment that works so well because he even touches the, the yeah doll, where his wife he? is yeah yeah and he doesn't know he just doesn't know no and it's just like it's really frustrating as a viewer to watch because you you just think fuck she's right there you yeah. doofus yeah you could have avoided all of this if you had just pulled the sheet back <laughs> yeah you can always tell someone's evil if they've got a sweaty fringe <laughs> that guy that guy's a great he had a great uh, henchman villain face I don't think he barely said a word in the thing he said maybe a couple of things. See, I think for me on this watch, the um, the third one, I ag- agree with you guys, is clearly the better movie. And it probably is the best, uh, the best, oh, the best movie of all this of on this series in terms of um, drama and emotion and like humanity. But the fourth one for me is more fun um, and probably the one I will I will rewatch more. Even incl- including the fifth one. Like, if I was to throw on a Mission Impossible for the laugh on a weekend, I'd throw that one on. Um, but I 100% admit 3 is a better movie. But maybe it's not one you just sling on because it actually is quite tough going. And actually, do you know what's weird? Is actually, I think, the third one... I can't really describe what this is, but it feels like the most American of the first three. Like, it, yeah. it has like a a real kind of American thriller feel to it, like a, a thriller 
that America would, you know, American filmmakers would make now. Well, is that a, is that because it's a post nine eleven? We and love America. Yeah, that maybe kind it of is gun ho. Don't fuck with us. Look at us in in America. Most of it takes place in America until the end, right? Yeah. Am yeah, I right in that? Yeah, yeah, that's a bit true. In the Vatican. And, no, and none of the rest of them spend any time in America, I would say, or very, yeah. very little. Yeah. Uh, but this is like the first one that doesn't seem to be trying to be something else, maybe. Like the first one was kind of the 60s thriller kind of thing. And the second yeah. one was this kind of East meets West, really stylized uh, mess. <laughs> and the third one just feels like it itself. It just feels like its own thing. Do you think that's down to... JJ not having the personal style and just understanding, you know, very economically the way that a story needs to be told visually. I think I think he has a massive visual style, and I think that this looks like Alias, which is what he was, the TV show that he was doing before this. I think it has that kind of almost TV feel to it, where it's um, it doesn't waste a, a single second. It, mm. it, it there's no fat on it at all. It's really like go for the kill straight off. What do you think, Dave? Are you a JJ fan? Yes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of JJ. And don't forget, like, this was his first movie. This yes. is his first feature movie. Like, so, like, out Cheers. the gates. Like, <laughs> like. But I think you're right, Josh. The yeah, I, I haven't seen Alias. I missed it when it, when it came out. But um, from what I hear, this was, you know, it was a huge influence on it. And it's probably, I, I, as, as far as I know, it's what got him the job. I think mm. uh, Tom Cruise said he was watching uh, Alias at two in the morning. Uh, and said, yeah. "That's the guy. That's the guy." And I just <laughs> he jumped up and down on the sofa a bit. Red light, green <laughs> <Exactly>. light. <laughs> um, but I think it's an interesting point about style. Um, it, it's hard when when the series has become iconic for uh, giving the reins to directors and letting them put their stamp on it. And I think it's a fair point that he didn't really. Well, he didn't really have a stamp yet unless yeah. it was i guess like you said just from you know it's the, it was the tv the tv influence and i would say with yeah. the, some jj abrams movies they do feel a little bit televisual um or at least they used to i remember thinking that about parts of star uh, star trek hmm. uh into darkness a lot of close-ups he likes to be right in oh, people's yeah. faces back when tvs were actually quite small so you had to get really close to get and convey any kind of drama maybe yeah the thing the thing with jj i've always found is he's only ever made movies where he's been playing in other people's Sandbox. toy boxes yeah. so you know mission impossible is not his he's just come in as a director for hire because tom cruise likes whatever he can do after that he went on to do super eight which is spielberg's toy box then he did star trek then he did star wars then he did another star trek before then and now he's doing another star wars so i i don't know what a personal jj abrams story would look like if he was given his five million his 10 million or 50 million small budget these days go and make a personal movie what do you think that could look like probably look like a spielberg movie i mean (laughs) that's yeah that's where his that's where his heart is isn't it i mean that's Mm. that um where his, he was most influenced by it's you know it's like he's he's all those stories about um, meeting him as a child and and all that i guess that and star wars so i guess mm. he's kind of done yeah it's a good point robert he's done that so what next maybe i think he's a really good director and i think he's a bit of a chameleon in a way and i think he's someone who we're gonna will only mature and get better you know i think 20 years from now he, he 
he'll probably really come into his own and nail down his style. I think he's a phenomenal storyteller. And yeah. that's what working in television gives you because you have a schedule. You have, like with Lost, Lost was coming out still in the days when we had 24 episodes a season, right? Yeah. So you, you know, if you didn't pull together an episode in, in two weeks, you're going to be fucked and you're going to be behind and you're, you're yeah. out of a job. So you have to be really clever and really good and really economical saying, well, we could do this in 50 shots, but we can only do 10. Let's see what we... Let's, let's see how we can bring this story alive in just 10 shots and do 40 setups today. Mm-hmm. And you can see that translated to this one because there is no fat on this film. Yeah. And the, the moment that um, the, the sequence in this film that best displays that is that bridge attack when they take back Philip Seymour Hoffman. That is exquisite. That is like watching like exploding ballet. <laughs> because it's so I never because I've spoken before in this podcast especially with modern movies some of these Marvel films the action is so fast that I can't keep up and I just have to wait until the end of the scene and then just work out who is still standing who is possibly dead who has gone mm. this I knew exactly where everyone was it was slow enough for me to keep up but fast enough to keep that energy going mm. it is it is stunning that bridge scene yeah and I just love that it it's relentless and you kind of you really think shit is he is he actually going to get out of this because yeah. he gets thrown around like there's that exploding car that sends him smashing sideways into another car yes and it's As really a bloody good stunt it's not a that, that's the real thing about this film i think is that for the first maybe hour and a bit it's not tom cruise showboating doing his look at me hanging off a rock it it's like all the action is actually quite um contained and yeah. it's, it's not him doing ridiculous stuff it's believable is there a stunt in this film that he did for real is that him jumping off the building in shanghai i must say that's a bit of a uh, a we a forgettable sequence i think yeah, for an is. extra heist movie it certainly pales in comparison to the vatican stuff yeah um, and and to be fair largely it probably is forgettable because we deliberately don't see any of it which i did like yeah i, I liked yeah. that he made that decision um mm. But the whole, you know, by the time you, you you get, that's immediately after the bridge scene, that is. So you guys are talking about how, you know, JJ is lean and everything is, is tight and there's no breathing room. I could have actually done with losing the Shanghai scene entirely, having a bit yeah. of breathing room and then getting to the um, his wife's been kidnapped bit. Like it didn't, it just felt like, you know, you, you know when you need to take a breath after the, an action scene and we didn't get that here. Yeah. But where would they go after if they didn't have that that Shanghai scene? Where where would they go? Because he needed to get the I need the rabbit's foot. Bring me the rabbit's foot in forty eight hours. <laughs> they needed that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a screenwriter. <laughs> well, I want to hire you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> if it were up to me, he'd go rock climbing <laughs> in the middle of the movie for forty yeah. minutes. I am um, one of the big one of the things I have to point out is how amazing Kerry Russell is in this film. Yes, she's how, good. Why didn't she become like a big action movie star? Well, is she, she the lady with the dark hair? She's the one who get the, the one who gets the bomb exploding in her. In her oh, eyes. the it's uh, just the really, it's horrible. Funny eyes, yeah, so horrible. She does. Get, I mean, she's coming to her own lately in that uh, TV show, The Americans, which she. She oh, stars yeah. in, uh, and she's an very, very thing? good in that. Also, sort of a, a spy thing. So it feels like this. Uh, she cut her teeth on this. Mm. Oh, I'm going to go watch that then. Get me some Kerry. I we love also... how I love how savage that was, though. That 
um, JJ Abrams was working on a TV show called Felicity, which she starred in. Yeah. And she's like this perky, young, bouncy, glossy haired young thing. And then he brings her into Mission Impossible like beats her up and then kills her sends her cross immediately <laughs> yeah it's, gr- it's really gruesome yeah. it's a 12 isn't it this film yeah it's gruesome yeah. it's, it's not things you want it's shocking death yeah yeah it's horrible yeah it's fucking but there's a very horrendous. clever parallel because then you suddenly realise because she obviously she looks very similar to his wife so you get this real sense of shit we might see this happen again but yeah. with, with his actual wife but they don't put it in the wife's head they put it in his head exactly it's like that's why again it's that's lean storytelling because you've he's used that for an emotional uh, beat but it's also exposition and Chekhov's gunning for, for later on absolutely yeah. yeah what did we think of the Vatican se- sequence loved it I thought it was absolutely brilliant this is like this is for me when Mission Impossible is at its best doing the doing the heists uh, I absolutely yeah. love this stuff and it's just so um, it's good because you've all these different parts, which as soon as you start thinking about them, a lot of them don't make sense, but you just kind of have to go with it. Uh, all these little diff- different connected like parts that it's all timed so well and every- you have to be here and I'm going to be here. And I, I loved all that. Um, and I loved that it's it's the team working together, which is also a big part of this this franchise. And as I said earlier, I love that you got the behind the scenes of how the mask was being made. There's some great tension yeah. in here while we're waiting for his voice to boot up. That's just super. Um, and also... And when the- it does boot up, you get that little glitch. Oh, yeah. Yes. Tom Cruise by Hoffman. Yeah. Such a nice touch. But but also the, the, mm. the mission works and it pays off and they do it completely and they win. Uh, which doesn't yeah. all, yeah. very rarely happens in this franchise. So it's like complete success. Go team. Well, it's like that quote in the fifth one when he says it looks surprisingly like luck rather than actual skill that gets yeah. through all yeah. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that scene also is um, the character who gets to have an awesome car and kick some ass is actually Maggie Q. And she's the one who's like, I don't want to blow up the car. It's too beautiful. And normally that's a guy part. Yeah. And she gets to have it. So gets to have it she should have it <laughs> we don't see jonathan reese thingy majiggy what's no, his name myers. jonathan reese myers myers yeah. we don't see him a lot recently no um he did some tv he's a bit stuff. of a weird bit of a weird one in this him and maggie q i think this is um while, while i was just singing the praises of that that heist and the teamwork and all, this is probably the weakest team if you were to pick any of the teams like they they yeah. as much as they tried none of their personalities really popped they all just felt a bit meh they, they weren't really given anything yeah. to do Jonathan Reese myers and Maggie Q either they weren't given any plots except to sit in the car and talk about Tom Cruise I think or were there, there was some story <laughs> or they talk about like oh I used to say a prayer when my cat oh, ran that away was it. Oh. oh yeah that was weird <laughs> would like you tell me lines. Ethan get in the car <laughs> yeah it's, I felt sorry for them because Maggie Q is really awesome. Like she went on to do the TV show Nikita, where she plays like a, a spy, and she's really good in it. So, yeah, it's, it's almost like they've wasted her because if they'd given her a, a really good role, she could have come back for the next one, and they wouldn't, I, sh- I presume, have brought in Paula Patton, who basically plays kind of the same character, the the female spy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That may, yeah, she may as well is have it, been Maggie Q. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there any part to that Vatican? section that you're, you're not a fan of what you what are you angling at <laughs> well okay well if, let's 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 break down the bits that don't really make sense why would why would jonathan reese myers uh go to a third floor window and have a camera that shoots a dart which is a homing thing and it 
on a manhole cover instead of just walking over the manhole cover and <laughs> dropping it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really weird fourth wall breaking moment when Tom Cruise is up there on the wall and the camera zooms into him and he just goes, Humpty Dumpty sound the wall. Oh God. No, yeah, yeah that was Who's awful. he saying that to? He's saying it to Ving Rames. Is he He's saying that he's on the wall. Is he really? Yes. Because he's looking in the camera as a... if he's saying to the audience, Haha, I'm Humpty Dumpty. Well. It, it, feels like, it feels like they were trying to do an 80s movie action yeah. one-liner, uh, but they failed terribly. Like, yeah. It, yeah. This, this not, that's not what these movies are. And it was, it was really, really jarring. I also didn't really understand the snapshot thing that he puts in front of the CCTV camera because it's not lit from behind. So no. it would have just looked like a black screen, surely. Yeah. <laughs> He took that lovely picture oh, yeah. and it didn't... Like, what? <laughs> Maybe he can control light. That's his Scientology power. <laughs> that's strike two, Rob. You only get three, right? You get three, then then you get someone to come and audit me. <laughs> yeah, yeah the... but someone's going to be following us home with cameras. We are on the internet. They're probably watching us right now. <gasps> the, uh, the ending where he just rolls him over and lets a van take him away really low key really low key for a, a, a big bad boss ending mm. wait the end of the vatican heist is it Were they... oh no sorry right at the end of the film at the end of the film um he rolls <laughs> philip seymour oh, yeah. hoffman yeah. over and the van just takes him away and then his shoe falls off <laughs> see ya <laughs> <laughs> but it reminded me of um reminded me of the way that keanu killed dennis hopper in speed oh yeah oh yes that's a great death. I, I, miss, I miss those days where it was just kind of like, okay, we fought now and now you're dead and goodbye. Yeah. Well, um, as in, you miss the days of self-contained yes. films. Yes, of like the, a film that has an ending and it doesn't kind of drag it out ad infinitum to but that's the, that's the effect of Marvel on, mm. on modern movie making. Everything has to set up the next one. But so, it's also a bit horror movie where horror movies just don't know when to quit because they have to have that final scare. And even though Scream was like, you have to have your final scare 20 years ago, they're still doing it. It's like films need to just know we're going to stop I, here. I wish this movie had stopped a little earlier, though, because that very mm. final scene of them all like uh, hanging out at the office <laughs> with the wife, <laughs> like laughing in slow motion. And then, uh, and then they literally like walk down the corridor. Oh, bye, we're off on a honeymoon now. Freeze frame. Uh, that was dreadful that's an 80s Tom Cruise moment that's risky business yeah and they did the same in Ghost Protocol or very similar to it where they're all like oh yeah hanging hanging out on the pier and then he puts the uh, it turns into an an Apple iPhone advert yeah he does he disappears into the mist that is that that bothered me because that's the of all it's been the whole movie like um, the the whole movie series coming up with these high tech ways for him to receive a mission and then phone it in at the end literally he's (laughs) like they're just sending him videos on a phone now it's just like (laughs) he's just listening to you know Instagram story exactly Let's move on to Ghost Protocol because it is the most fun. It did have a lot of levity to it. It felt like a Pixar movie because of Brad Bird. Yeah. It's also what I noticed this time around, I think maybe because number three is so frenetic and energetic that the fourth one actually, a lot of the sequences play like a silent movie. Yeah. Like he's running around in a sandstorm or he's hanging off the edge of the Burj Khalifa or or he's Burj Khalifa. Or the moment in the... 
what's Britain, the big yeah. palace in Moscow? The Kremlin. I can't, even yeah. my, can't remember my political places now. Where they're pushing the big the screen. Scene. Yeah, the corridor yeah. scene. It's, that's, that's like a Brian De Palma movie. That's yes. like stuff on the first movie. Yeah, that was like true. that, you know, the CIA Langley drop down from the ceiling. It's so quiet and you get the click, 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 click. Yeah, yeah. That, that was great. It's, and it was just tense to watch as well, right? That went on for quite a long time, actually. That was, it was about 10 minutes or something, wasn't it? The fact that I like that they were tying things back to the first film. They were tying things back in, in other sections of this film. You remember in the first one when he wants to go see Max and he gets a message saying, meet the guy on the bench and ask for a cigarette or ask for a match. And it's a tall blonde guy who turns around. He's in like a trench coat and then the car pulls up and they give him a balaclava with like weird etching, like the weird stitching on yeah. it. And he has to put that on. Oh yeah, yeah. When he wants to go see that weird arms dealer, it's the same guy. It's oh, the, sa- yeah. the same actor, the same character. Actually- tall, blonde hair. And he gives him a balaclava. And he doesn't put it on, but you can see it's the same pattern. Oh, oh I didn't know that. It makes me think, has Max uh, gone to work for <laughs> the, the IMF? Yeah. And that's their oh, way of telling us. They need, to, they need to bring her back because she was so good I think, in that first film. Is she not dead? Is she, dead? is she dead? Vanessa, Redgrave. Vanessa Redgrave, isn't it? No, is she, she dead? No. She's old as the hills, right? Yeah, she's super old. But I think <laughs> super old. She would still be is Vanessa Redgrave dead? <laughs> she's like Himotep. She'll never die. Autocomplete was all over it. <laughs> is Vanessa Redgrave brackets still alive? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's taking too long. Normally, it says on the side like died eight, died Yeah, yeah. she's alive. Years active present she's still active she's still come on vanessa come back and be like crotchety old uh, judy dench in skyfall and just kind of kick him into shape she was superb in that i loved her uh sort of uh flirtation with tom cruise yeah it's excellent yeah it's great because it kind of turned the tables a bit where normally it'd be like an older disgusting guy kind of perving on the young girl but this way it was just like oh god what's going on (laughs) yeah this is different (laughs) the opening to ghost protocol is so well choreographed it's like watching a dance routine that scene is all about benji it's all about simon Pegg. that's really allowing him to breathe and his character to come through and his performance to come through and tom cruise taking a little bit of a step back there yeah and that's a really brave and generous thing for a movie star to do this is tom cruise movie this is his franchise this is what he's now most famous for and yet in the fourth film he gives it all to Benji in that opening scene. Do you like? Do you actually like Benji? I really like Benji's character, and I really think Simon Pegg is a better actor than A people realize, hmm. and B that he's ever given the opportunity to be. Do you There's... like him, Dave? I do, I do, um, and I think he. Well, this is where he obviously really comes into his own. He was very much sort of. Um, uh, sort of side comic relief cameo Slob. in the third one yeah and, and and he was fun in that but I think they saw something in, in him there I think it was a very uh, interesting and good choice to make him part of the team and then to your point Robert about what a what a sort of hidden gem he is in the fifth one I think he he really you know pulls out the acting chops and he gets a, he gets a lot to do there mm. yeah like you know when he says like Ethan Hunt is not my friend and then later on when he says, 
I'm not leaving because you're my friend. Yeah. Those, yeah, that's, not, that's not a comedic performance. That's a dramatic role. And I just think it's only a matter of time before he is given his own Truman Show or he's given his own one-hour photo. Yeah, I would like to see that. Yeah, I think he's, he's a very, very likable actor. That climbing sequence is vertigo-inducing, oh, especially God. when you see it on a, a huge, huge oh, screen. Yeah, it's just insane. It's like you gen, you gen, like you, you assume the movie came out and he's alive, but that still doesn't kind of stop you grabbing hold of your seat and just <laughs> closing your eyes. But just knowing that he did it for real, like adds yeah. to it so much, doesn't it? And yeah. it's like the um, I do remember we saw it in the IMAX. Is that where it did? Like, oh yeah. my god, that was my first ever experience of IMAX, and it's. Did still, you throw up? I, I almost because I'm not great with heights, but like I felt, you know, you just feel like you're there, and it was. It's honestly one of the greatest um, cinema experiences I've ever had. It's it's super tense, and it's funny as well. Yeah, it's like a cartoon, you know, with the glove is like. <laughs> Um, what that that's another thing I love about this movie the technology fails regularly yeah um, and it um, that but the technology is also probably the most inventive it's been I think the particularly the uh, what you mentioned earlier the Kremlin mm. fake wall I mean that's yeah. and it's and it's quite lo-fi isn't it and it's quite analog sim- even though it's being being you know operated yeah. by an iPad and a camera it's it's just an overhead projector screen from school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's such a simple concept. But I like that then they show you the concept and you're like, oh, I get mm. it now. And then they move it on when multiple guards come out and you realize, oh, the perspective has shifted. Like, it's very, it's ingenious. When things like that get introduced into films, I often think, have they sat down and done like a, you know, like a workshop, a think tank and thought, what what would the technology look like in this world? You know, like when... Um, I think I've mentioned this before, Spielberg, when he was making Minority Report, he got together like proper real life non-film people, scientists and novelists and this, that and the other, put them in the room for like a weekend and said, what would the future look like? What sort of technology can we, you know, imagine up and then incorporate into the into the film? Yeah. I just want to be in the room yeah. when those sort of discussions go on because it's... It's it's more than filmmaking. It's more like you know future predicting. It's it's yeah. really fucking interesting. And how does it factor into their storytelling? So do they do they know that they've got a segment here that's going to be in the Kremlin, and they kind of something's going to happen, and they're like, okay, well, let's have a think about what technology we want to use. Yeah. And then they just slot it in. Like, is it organic or is it that they what comes first essentially? Does the technology come first or does the idea come first? It's chicken and the egg, yeah. Yeah. Well, have you watched the extras on the D- on the Blu-rays? No. Have you got the Blu-rays, Dave? No, I rented the movies on uh, on Sky. Well, the first ah. th- the first three were free, and I had to rent the last two. I actually had a genuine Mission Impossible movie moment doing that because <laughs> the thing expires after forty eight hours, and I had to watch yeah. Rogue Nation in two parts. So two days later, I watched the second half, and I just turned just turned it on and forgot about the expiry. One minute to go. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Until it expired. It was, oh, it was real did like heart it, in the mouth did, moment. Did. <laughs> Were you dangling from the ceiling? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but there's this, this really cool extra where they were talking about how they actually were piecing the films together. And they were saying, they were thinking, what are the big set pieces we can do? And what are the emotions that we want to portray in the set pieces? And Ooh. that's where the story was born from. So they were piecing it together by going, this franchise has, be- has become about set pieces yeah. what's a story we can fit around that not the other way around 
I think, and and that's for this movie, you said, Robert, was it? That was, I think, with Brad Bird and also Christopher. Yeah, Christopher McQuarrie wrote part of Ghost Protocol, and then he came on to direct um, Rogue Nation. See, I think that's really telling. Um, you can you can see that, and I think it's, uh, and I think that's a flaw of the movie because mm-hmm. the set pieces are the best, probably for me, they're the best in the series, and I think this is the most fun. So they nailed all that, but the story is very weak the villain is weak the, the, yeah the villain is the weakest in ghost protocol i think yeah what was it his name it doesn't all tie together it? he's just looks like someone's dad down the market <laughs> who, who played him i don't know briefcase man oh, is, uh, oh. Mike, michael um nick fist is his yeah name, yeah is, um, german guy or european swedish swedish he's swedish yeah, he's, he a, he's a really really good actor he just got got given nothing to do oh got nothing he's, to do he died recently he Really? He was yeah. um He was, he was in the, the original The Girl with the Dragon tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Oh okay. I've seen I prefer the, the original version of yeah. that to yeah. David Fincher's bizarre like watered down version. But no, he like for me the greatest villain is um uh Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. And yeah. the worst is this guy. He's vacant. He's never there. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> he's just like the most. He's the ghost, isn't he? He just doesn't exist in the story. Really, he just kind of he, flits around. Oh, he, he's the ghost. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he has a protocol. I get though. it now. He has a protocol, but I just feel he is a number two, and they should have been introducing a big badder boss that yeah. was operating yeah. him. They, I think they missed a trick there. I think because they wanted to have that that funny Indian billionaire. Oh yeah. If they, oh, that was lame as well. Yeah. But if they had, if they had got rid of him, that's the perfect opportunity to introduce, you know, this this franchise, Blofeld, yeah. or this, you know, whoever is the big James Bond baddie at the moment. I don't really have that much to say about this one. Like, it's it's weird how when you when you watch it in sequence, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to, even though this is the one I've watched the most. But I think it's because the the third one had such an emotional sense to it to then come into this one which is a romp and there's the only emotion really is humor um you know you you laugh quite a lot but there's nothing else really there's no substance really that's there's true no, there's, there's no, no real, real stakes. stakes there's no yeah. you're not really emotionally connected to anyone it's just a bit of a laugh yeah exactly yeah. i have yeah. written down that I, I did miss the, the 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 depth of the third one mm. and i hope as they go on i mean it looks like this sixth one has a has a wedding so then it looks like they're bringing some sort of emotional connection back right do you prefer ghost protocol or rogue nation um i think rogue nation is the far better movie uh it's more accomplished um i'm kind of doing the same thing i did with number three now i think they're very different (laughs) uh uh, ghost protocol is more fun but then Rogue Nation is a lot of fun as well. So I don't know. I probably... I, yeah, Ro- Rogue Nation's better. It's interesting how this is the first film in the franchise that is really kind of like a follow-up to the previous installment. Yeah, I think that's the Marvel effect. Yeah. Everything has... Nothing can be standalone anymore. Everything has to be setting up the next five years worth of... But I actually think, even though I, I said earlier that I didn't like the lack of continuity in the team, I think that the fact that it follows follows on from Ghost Protocol actually does it a slight disservice because so i watched all five basically over the space of three days and wow so so what's that like 10 hours 
Yeah, so that should roughly, be yeah. that should be a good season of TV. But I didn't I didn't feel nourished the way that I normally feel watching a season of a good TV show. So maybe actually the the Marvel thing isn't as as important as everybody thinks it is. Because when you watch them all together, these don't really they don't give you a really good emotional plot driven through line. But they've only just started doing that. No, I know that's true. Maybe the and next there's, there's, one will. And there's the gaps are getting shorter and shorter yeah. in between these movies. It's getting so older, isn't it? The first one was 96, then four years later with 2000, then 2006, yeah. then five years to 2011, four years to 2015. So this has been the shortest time. Yeah. And I wonder, is that the Marvel factor or is it for the fact that Tom Cruise is not getting younger and he is, <laughs> he is beginning to show his age ever so slightly? Mm. But who owns this? Is it Paramount? Because they're struggling with franchises. Are they? But they did a G.I. Joe, that flop. They did Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles. That was a disaster. They've got Star Trek, but then that wobbled with a number three. Yeah, that felt so more like they, TV than a film. Yeah, they need a franchise that's going to make them money. And this basically is it. So, that so do you think they're trying why... to pump out as many Tom Cruise ones yeah, before possibly. they either reboot or he becomes the secretary? Well, Jeremy Renner, that's why they brought him in, wasn't it? Because they wanted him to be there in the stall, in the stalls, in the stocks. To but like... he's not in this new one. Ooh. Well, maybe they've abandoned that plan. They've just now. failed. Oh, oh that's and the poor Jeremy <laughs> Renner. The, the same thing happened to him with the the Bournes as well. Yeah, I know. They were like, "You're our Bourne now." Oh wait, no, nobody wants you. No, and Marvel, he wasn't yeah. in Infinity War, was he? He was back oh, home. Yeah. Back home on the farm, sharpening his blades or do whatever you, so, he is. So every, do you think Hollywood is ghosting Jeremy Renner? Is that what's going <laughs> <laughs> I think because he looks like a giant toddler. <laughs> I don't know. It's just not believable <laughs> for him to be an action star. <laughs> do you think that the fact that Rogue Nation feels a bit more solid and a bit more um, sort of intricate is because it's Christopher McQuarrie and he is a bit of a genius at writing these sort of twisty sort of tales that sort of loop back on themselves or have lots of different facets so he's he obviously wrote the usual suspects and that is a genius screenplay he wrote valkyrie and he also wrote jack the giant slayer but we won't hold that against and jack him. reacher didn't he Did you he wrote yeah. jack reacher yeah. he wrote the way of the gun and he directed that that's a great movie and he wrote the edge of tomorrow which is which, which is a bit of really a mind fuck. that's a great film so he's clearly a very He's an accomplished writer. He's, he, he can handle, you know, lots of different threads. And I wonder, is his contribution is, is so great that he's the only one to sign on to direct a second movie? This yeah. is, and in fact, this is the third one he's been involved in. Mm. And he's also the most, uh, he's handled the espionage stuff better than anybody since the first one. And I think, it, yeah. like, like you said, Robert, because he's weaved in all this like double crossings and back and forths and it's like, and and it none of it feels confusing it's all very clear um and the i think the other big credit to this movie is rebecca ferguson who is outstanding she's like she's a female bond and i would argue is probably better than any of the other bonds that i can think yeah because you never know where she's going to go and that's that's like that's brilliant you you just every time you think you've sussed her out she does something else and you're like wait a minute like actually I have no idea who she's working for and I'm loving it. <laughs> exactly, which is what a spy is supposed to be. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, you rarely get that feeling. 
Yeah. It's like the, the, the blonde girl, Ava thingy in North by Northwest. Oh, yeah. You don't know who she she's working for and you can't work yes. out why she's suddenly attaching herself to Cary Grant. That's true. Yeah. And this, yeah, this is the film that has the most Hitchcock sequence, which is at the opera, which mm. completely borrows oh. from The Man Who Knew Too Much with like the... the and bullet. The Godfather Part 3. I'm sure. Which obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Am I the only one in the world that's ever seen that movie? (laughs) But that that sequence is is gorgeous. And the fact they use that song doesn't alienate anyone who's not into opera. And I'm not into opera, but I know that song and I know there's that big note. So the Mm. audience is on the same page as the filmmakers because you know, well, that big note is coming. Yeah. So something's going to happen because it it's, on it's what, such it was an end point. Ad, wasn't it on like an ice cream advert in the 90s or something? Yeah, and British Got Talent. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just one, just one yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. But it really bothered me, though, that the, that the assassin had to circle the note on, oh, yeah. on the music yes. sheet as if, like, as if, like, yeah, the whole, like, last few minutes is building to it and we all know it's coming like and he's like looking at it like okay we're in it like, <laughs> sharp, like, uh, yeah no nearly no he was okay. kind of useless yeah. though he had he had like some bulk going for him but he looked completely clueless and slightly gormless oh he was he time. was like clearly a reference to um Jaws the, or... the the bad guy in from russia with love die hard uh, yeah and die hard oh, as right, well yeah mm. but like that kind of big stocky blonde thug is you yeah. know it's really bond like and they the bond have, have done it a couple of times they did it in tomorrow never dies with mr stamper they open this film with the money the, shot the big stunt yeah because yeah. it's always like the marketing is always around he's on the building he's yeah. doing this he's doing that we put him on the fucking plane <laughs> but i love the fact that they spunk their load in the first in the cold first open eight minutes I which leaves us to go well now where does the movie go yeah. it doesn't because i think i felt at the time that all these stunts were beginning to overwhelm the film and it was just being about oh we put tom cruise on the side of a plane hmm. so i think it's a genius idea let's get that bit out of the way because that's what people expect and then let's just do this really cool spy story yeah well because he's he kind of over the process of these, the, the course of these films, he became like the modern day Buster Keaton where it's like, let's see what else he can do yeah. and just like, just throw <laughs> him at something and see what sticks. But actually this is the first film that really starts to introduce his own mortality. And it, it does it kind of almost to a comedic effect, but it's when he drowns and he comes back yes. and he completely denies the fact that he was dead, yeah. which obviously is like how he gets through all of these missions. And Benji's like, you were dead. And he's like, no, I wasn't. He's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) That car scene, it's cool. I don't like the end where the car is flipping like it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) That was too much for me. It was purely CGI as well. Yeah, but it was just too much because it was, everything else was reasonably grounded. And suddenly you've got this wacky racers bullshit. (laughs) Can we talk about the scene where Tom Cruise suddenly has a beard and then shaves it the next Oh, <laughs> the next oh yeah, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> I don't like he'd been making out with some chickens and just kind of it rubbed off on his face. But it's just like they go, six months later, well, has he not shaved? <laughs> <laughs> Why hasn't he shaved? He's a spy. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a fake beard for one of his... Um, uh, disguises. Although, actually, we forgot to talk about in Ghost Protocol one of the worst moments in the whole franchise when they, d- for some reason, are in- uh, infiltrating the Kremlin and instead of wearing a mask, which they have the technology to do, 
they just put a fake mustache on Tom Cruise because he kind of looks like the, coincidentally looks exactly like one of the generals. In I think it's the Isn't third the, movie. It's the first film where he's playing an older man as at well. the big at the start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is a cool way to introduce him. I thought he was actually really quite convincing in in the first film when he was dressed up as the old the older guy. Like he had some really good kind of mannerisms that were just like, oh, okay. And That's because he was an actor then. Yeah, yeah. Like, where's he gonna? Like, he can't do these movies forever. He, this is maybe one more we could squeeze out of him. He'll do seven. What, what does the future hold for this franchise and Tom Cruise? Well, he said he wants to do them forever, didn't he? Wasn't he quoted saying that recently? Well, what he wants to do and what he's going to be able to do <laughs> yeah, true. two very different things. Well, particularly because, let's face it, Tom Cruise is going to die doing one of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's going to actually mean, die, the actor. They'll write it into the script first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're going to base it. I mean, they'll, they'll go, well, the big stunt this time is that you're going to die and then we'll work the emotion around that. <laughs> His insurance must be like billions of dollars, surely. Oh, yeah, surely. I would imagine. Juicy. I know in the, in the second film, he kind of he told his, his insurers that, oh yeah, I'm I'm totally gonna let the stunt guys do all the stuff, and then he was to John Woo, no, I'm gonna do it. Um, obviously, those days are long gone. But yeah, that's almost much, almost twenty years since how much that is one. He worth? Oh, he's worth in the billions. Yeah, he's worth in the billions. And also, if he died, like maybe he's can he waive insurance? Can he kind of go? Nah, I'm good. No, because well, I don't I don't think of, uh, the studio would employ him on that basis so, <laughs> yeah. yeah and he's also a Scientologist who are famously litigious oh that's uh, strike no. three uh, <laughs> wrap God. it up guys I hear a knock on the door <laughs> um, I just feel it would be either really cool for him to take over the Mr. Secretary role oh yeah because he was in the third one he was just he was a teacher he was trained in the new the new mm. generation of agents there's no reason why he can't go back into that Mission Impossible, yeah. the new class. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just reboot. People will still go see it. Reboot with a new action star, but be clever about it. Take like an actor that you wouldn't normally associate with action. Maybe like Sheila Boo for um, Miles. Sheila Boo. <laughs> Miles Teller, maybe. Someone who's, you know, a real... Miles Teller. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like an mm. Oscar contender actor. Who is also slightly crazy enough to do all the stunts. Slightly crazy enough to do all the stunts. Yeah. Do you want to see someone else play Ethan Hunt, though? I'd probably go for your former uh, option of, like, uh, new new people rather than... I think it's... Uh, you know, they tried that with Jack Ryan. You know, they keep trying to make Jack Ryan a thing every few years. Mm. And I yeah. think there's a TV show coming out now with him as well, isn't there? Yeah, with um, John Krasinski. I would like to see Tom Cruise go back to... The acting roles. Yeah, I agree. I I love Eyes Wide Shut. I love him in Collateral. That was only 10 or so years ago. That's a great movie. But isn't it great when he plays a character that's not Tom Cruise? Did you see American Made? No. No, it doesn't look very good. Is it good? He's brilliant in it. Mm. He's playing a character. And it's and it's done by Les Wise Len Wise not Len Wiseman, um Doug Lyman, who did yeah. Go oh, and yeah. did um Live Die Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow, whatever they want to call it. He embodies this true life guy in a way that I've I've not seen him act in a long, long time. He was in Interview with a Vampire. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I he was an movie. actual character. He was great. So I'd that. like to see him stop these movies. Because I don't, I don't want to see Tom Cruise become the new Roger Moore. 
He was the slowest, oldest James Bond by the end. <laughs> he was 50-something. He was 50 57. Doing, um, 57. Kill, wasn't it? 50, yeah. 57. 57. Fuck. Fucking hell. He realised he was too old to play Bond when he realised that he was too old even for the mother of the girl who was playing the, the, the oh. Bond girl. God. Uh. I think it's, it's actually a good point to talk about this franchise compared to Bond because for me, this wins hands down I'm, I'm, 100% I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Bond anyway but like mm. just the I mean you, you just mentioned um, the age gap and the leeriness and I mean Ethan does rarely has love interests except for two which probably is more of a um, uh, Bond movie than the rest but he doesn't he also doesn't treat women like shit uh, no, except not, in the second except in the second he's also not a superhero like Bond except in yeah. the second where he is a superhero <laughs> um, a Terminator in that one Exactly. He was looking for John Connor. He's like a, he's like a flamenco dancing Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> he's working in the Tasker on the side. I, I like that these movies are also a little more like Bond is straight up like kind of fantasy. Uh, all it's all about like looking backwards and uh, yeah, weren't spies cool and all this. Whereas I think these movies are actually quite cynical about uh, spies and surveillance in a way, but because the villains are all spies. I love. James Bond. I've loved it since I was a kid. These Mission Impossible films, especially the last couple, have been properly out James Bonding James yeah, Bond. Yeah, they're, they're they're better. They're they're more they're more fun. They're uh, they're more complex. They're more human. I just think hands down, there's just leagues above. Are you looking forward to the new one? Yeah, I reckon it's my most anticipated movie of the year. I can't think of something else. I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to see what he's going to do basically because I haven't seen really any promo stuff. Although I that's the actually no the one thing I do know is when he broke his ankle. Oh yeah. On the surely the least impressive stunt he's actually done in his entire because <laughs> he was on wires. Yeah, he just like jumped over a, a gap in a building. Um, <laughs> it's quite a big gap. He's from one building to the next. Come on, let's do it. We can do it. Josh is like, whatever. <laughs> I'm like Benji. I'm like, he can do it. He can do it in his sleep. I, I am looking forward to this, this new one. And I, I don't often feel like I let myself look forward to movies because I'm still traumatized by the disappointment of episode one. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! You're really holding a holding a grudge there. I'm holding that grudge against. I, you know, I want George Lucas to apologise. I'm really sorry about that one. Was that, that was twenty twenty years ago. Next year. Twenty years ago. Next oh, year. My oh my God! God I know. But you know, I never really let myself get excited. So when a new Star Wars movie comes out, I don't think about it until maybe a day or two before, and I just go see it. And I'm hoping that this new Mission Impossible film just carries on the sheer quality that they've been they've been riding for the past couple i'm really looking forward to it i think the fact that we've got christopher Macquarie and a lot of the team back again i think uh, i think that we're in safe hands i hope and it also sounds like Macquarie doesn't want to repeat what he did with the, the fifth one so he's trying something different with number six well that's a writer um, isn't isn't it well yeah you want to develop your ideas yeah. you want yeah. to develop the franchise yeah so that, you, that's obviously why he took certain pieces from number four and, and bled them into number five because he wanted to curate this world. But sorry, but things like what? 
Well, I mean, he he's, he more obviously links the two films. Oh, I see. Right. So, yeah. You think that's a Macquarie decision, not a Cruz decision? Possibly both. I don't know. Yeah. But it must be fun as a writer to go, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I don't need to start all over again. Because it's mm. a shorthand, you know. You don't need to introduce who Luther is or who Benji is. You can just, like a shorthand, boom, straight in there. Yeah. Let's talk about our favourite way that he's given a mission. Okay. Because it's always really cool, you know, the gadgets, how, you know, you this is your mission. If you choose to accept it, this will self-destruct in five minutes. So, Dave, what five was seconds. your favourite? Five seconds. Five yeah. minutes? <laughs> Waiting around for a while. <laughs> I wonder they keep getting into Sorry, like, I just, I only oh. ever watch the director's cuts. Checking his, checking his watch. Like, oh, I really got to get on with this mission. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me... I I mean I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick the one from Mission Impossible too because it's so so stupid. The when he's on top of the cliff and uh, a helicopter shows up <laughs> yeah. and a man fires <laughs> a missile at him <laughs> and then that opens and it's got a pair of sunglasses in it and already I'm like yeah I'm on board <laughs> and, and then the sunglasses explode. I mean that this is like that's so beautifully absurd. Like if you uh, as a delivery mechanism for any communication that's so inefficient. I mean it doesn't make a lick of sense. The carbon got, footprint on that. Come on. Yeah, the carbon footprint. <laughs> exactly. Could have just shouted out the, uh, out the <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter needs to see you. Be there Tuesday. <laughs> Joshua? Uh, my favourite is from Mission Impossible 3. And it's the Kodak camera that he takes from the Quickie Mart, whatever it is. Um, the, Billy the, Cro- the Quickie Mart. The Quickie I, Mart. I, I poo sold it to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Billy Crudup is like, oh, I would maybe take some photos or something. It says something like that. Yeah. And uh, Tom Cruise looks over his shoulder and he's like, ah, I'm going to grab that camera. But I always imagine like an old lady coming over and like picking up the camera. Oh, and God. And having to like quietly assault her. To, like, get, <laughs> quietly? Get, <laughs> get her with a pack of Oreos. <laughs> yeah. um, I really like the vinyl booth in rogue nation because he has to put his hands on the vinyl which is a never put your hands on the vinyl but <laughs> he has to put his hand on the vinyl to have his fingerprints read and then it loops the message and it flips on its head because it's not a message from the imf it's the message from mr Syndicate. mr whatever face what's his name the Strong bad guy Harris. yeah no. i think that's a really cool flip and i like it when they yeah. take like an analog idea and they flip it into you know, like a, a future digital. So yeah. I'd like that camera idea that was, as well. That was one of the funniest things, actually, going watching all the films in one go, watching the, you've got email. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the shooting, <laughs> the shooting envelope. And the and fact then... he was using AOL in the first one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That really dates it. Yeah. No one uses AOL anymore. And then it moves on to like CDs and then finally we get USBs and then we get super duper shiny USBs. And yes. What's going to come next? Who knows? Um... Let's talk about our top three action scenes or stunts. So, Dave, you've you've created a new criteria for this, haven't you? <laughs> I don't know. I, do, I yeah. I, I, I lost the run of myself, and I split uh, I split out a new category of heists. So, I did top three action scenes, but I also did top three heists because I felt like they're slightly they can be slightly different in these movies because you can get a big action set piece, and then there's always at least one heist. So, my my top three heists were. Uh, Third, I thought the the Kremlin one for me is uh, absolutely superb. Um, Gorgeous. The, With the reversible jacket. Yeah, that's that's my favorite bit of kit in all the movies. I like <laughs> really? I, I like how just like lo-fi that is. It's just so simple. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but also, I just... I mean, you could buy jackets like that in the 80s. I mean, can I do that on the weekend? Just... <laughs> Perfect for infiltration. Like it's smart one side, denim on the other. Yeah, great. Um, for the, the Vatican and MI3 then was my next favourite. Um, and then the Dubai one in Ghost Protocol, I think, is the mm. best heist because it blends uh, that sort of thrilling action, huge stunt, and well um, well thought out planning and teamwork and everything goes wrong every step of the way and they adapt uh, and and it's so much fun I love all that so for the action scenes what's your number three the, I thought the underwater scene uh, in MI5 or uh, Rogue Nation in Rogue Nation super super thrilling that's also a heist but the actual See, heist I, stuff is with that one because it's, there's so much CGI I didn't really respond to it the first time I saw it I was really quite oh you know it's CGI He's clearly not holding his breath or anything. There's no, I didn't feel there was any stakes. It's only when I watched the extras on the DVD that I realised he actually held his breath. Of course no. he did. For he's so long. He, he, they, you know, he's, he's, he's the stuntman and everyone's gone on record. He held his breath for six and a half minutes. Well, that's, that's funny because that sequence actually is six and a half minutes. Yeah. I timed it because I was like, is he going to hold his breath for the whole But thing? the fact that there's so much CGI completely undermines the entire experience for me. I didn't think it was that obvious at all, and I'm like a real CGI oh, it, Nazi. It's all all that stuff at the back. It's just green screen. The twirl, the twirling robot arms, I guess. Yeah, definitely yeah, and all that. I think I just think that that's such a good scene because you, well, I think most people would just try and hold their breath and see how far they can go, and so you, it's almost like a bit interactive. Uh, I'm I'm asthmatic. I have to have my mouth open all the time. <laughs> Two seconds, he's drowned. Uh, Joshua, you're. Your third one. So my number three best action scene is from MI3 and it's the helicopter escape. Um, On the bridge? No, no, no. With the, the wind oh, with the, turbines. At the, oh, in Berlin. Yeah, yes, yeah. with the wind turbines. It's just so cool and like different and really tense. And there's like those sheep that almost get impaled by a, a lopped off um, propeller. And... They're big, aren't they? I know. I mean, when you pass them on the Virgin trains and they're in, on the fields, you think... Oh, look at those little windmills. <laughs> but they're, actually, they're really fucking huge. They are giants, yeah. And that I just think that scene is great because it's got so much going on at the same time. Yeah. You've got those like heat-seeking missiles, which are always just like, oh, God, how are you going to beat the missile that can think? Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. The android missile. <laughs> yeah. It's actually Tom Cruise on the second movie. What's your number three? My number three is Building Climb in Ghost Protocol. Oh, okay, so same. Your number three as well. No, same as Dave's, right? Was your th- what was your? No, no I've ju- I've just confused everything by inventing my own oh, no. top three heist list. <laughs> oh, no. no, my no, my number three was the uh, the underwater scene. My number oh, two, my number two though is the um is the Dubai scene as well. It's because it's yeah. it is so unbelievably tense, and yeah. he's doing it for real. That wind, and it's yeah, the wind, the the the, the levity, the and you edge out out of the the room with him yes you kind of edge across that 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 kind of uh, precipice precipice windowsill windowsill yeah <laughs> and uh, always the drop. writer <laughs> <laughs> i can write i can't talk i always say it um your number two is is dubai dave yeah that was it another thing i love about that scene is how reluctant Cruz is or ethan hunt is at the beginning yeah. to do it he's like yeah. no so <laughs> we could just don't. go down the lift shaft we can't get into the lift shaft <laughs> We could just go into the server. We can't get into the server. We can get in from outside. <laughs> and it's a lovely interplay between him and Benji as well. Yeah. Uh, your second, My Joshua? number two is the underwater vault. 
Okay. So was... My second is the CIA break-in in Langley in the first one. Uh, it's a classic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you ever see any other spoof in... I'm pretty sure Wallace and Gromit have done it. Have Wallace and Gromit... I'm sure there's been a cartoon that has spoofed yeah. that scene. It's, it's funny, just become quite iconic. It's funny you should say that because when he's wearing the like the painting kit, is that when he's going to break into the Vatican? He's wearing the painting kit. He looks like Wallace and Gromit. It's like that kind of. Oh, dusty. when they're playing oh, Italian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, they 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 ape the um, that moment as well in that movie as well. It's almost oh, every yes. movie he does a sort of a. Oh yeah, that was cool yeah. in the Vatican where he he sort of uses little gadget to measure how high the wall is. Yeah. Then, yeah, you know, fixes the the little thingy. Then he slides off and it just gets him before he hits the floor and then he's got like a priest's outfit under there and the fourth one uh, Jeremy Renner gets to do it because he's got that magnet thing oh yeah yeah, right. yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. really thing. bad CGI when he's over the yeah. the fan um, what was your what's your top one Dave uh, for me it was the opera scene from Rogue Nation I think that just from a directing point of view the 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 way it was all choreographed um, and set with the music uh, it was absolutely just beautiful uh I thought it was out bonding. It felt like a bond, um, very much like a bond action scene, but like done better for me. Oh, and I loved all this stuff with like, you know, th- there's all these assassins and we don't know who's who or who's targeting who. It's excellent. Yeah, because you're like, okay, we know her. We've seen her before. Then you've got the other guy who's doing something. And then there's like a random, with Benji, very attractive German man also <laughs> wandering around in a uniform. And Are you like, sure that's not your favourite scene, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you say your, your number one? No, my number one, very predictably, is the, the ceiling drop in the first one. Just so cool. So amazing. I just, everything about that sequence is just kind of perfectly orchestrated. So, My number one is the bridge attack in mm. MI3. Yeah. I think that is exquisite. I could watch that on loop. And I love how, I love the look of that as well. That's when it's the most gritty and the most high contrast. It, it, it looks sweaty. It looks, they look tired. They, because they've just come back from the Vatican. Like, like they've been on a stag do or something. <laughs> and there's this great bit. Stag where, do at the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> there's this great bit where Tom Cruise is just fucking confused because, you know, the, the missiles have hit from the drone and he just, turns around and there's this fucking helicopter coming up and he's just like, what the fuck is going on? So that was the Mission Impossible franchise directed by everyone, (laughs) but really directed by Tom Cruise. Are you a Mission Impossible fan? Which is your favourite? Which is your favourite stunt? Should Tom Cruise hang up his his parachute or whatever it's called? Uh, Let us know. We're at Torn Stubbs Pod. And Dave, where are you at? Uh, I do a podcast called The Cinemile uh, with my wife where we walk home from the movies. Uh, it's called The Cinemile. I just plugged it twice. Uh, so it's so good we named it twice. That's, I'm just, no, I'm just really bad at doing this. Um, you, you can find us at The Cinemile on Twitter or Instagram or wherever. And uh, it's thecinemile.com. Awesome. And if you like film, television, culture and music, head to movetotrash.co.uk. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me, guys. That was great fun. This has been wonderful. We're off to light the fuse. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. And I am Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that the the autobiography? I am Dave. (laughs) It is now. Cut.